Hello and welcome to Speaking Words and Crying Tears, a podcast documenting my journey to becoming an activist and hopefully helping you start or continue yours. So, let's get going. Hi, hello, hi. Welcome to another episode of my podcast. I have so many wonderful things planned for you today, including a very, very, very special guest, an amazing activist, and my friend's so let's get into it in this episode we will explore with our very special guest the question what is intersectionality and how does it influence those in activism but first the news i went with the theme for the news stories in this episode the environment I will warn that it is a heavy topic. A lot of my anxieties and a lot of this generation's anxieties come from the environment, considering how real it is in our future. Because of this, no judgment. If today is not a day you're prepared to think about the environment, listen and learn when you are ready. I will add a timestamp to skip to in the description. So, back to the topic of our future, I wanted to talk about the Republican primaries. I promise it will connect to the environment. Trust. There's a lot to talk about with what all happened at that debate. Maybe we'll revisit it in another episode, but just for this episode, I will limit myself to three points. The first point, why and how I watched the debate. Because it's important you understand my bias and mindset going into this. The first most obvious thing is, I am not yet old enough to vote, so I had no real stakes in this debate. What I should say instead is, I didn't go into this debate to be influenced by anyone. But I watched mainly out of curiosity. A couple questions I asked myself was, is there a better option than Biden or Trump? More realistically, is there one that would get enough votes? Um, Were all candidates really the stereotypical idea of a america republican (laughs) i'm not going to answer for you but i will say yes yes majority yes my point in saying all this is to point out that you can get a lot more out of the news or whatever it is that you're consuming when you assess why you're consuming it i am not gonna lie to you though it has been eight days since i watched and i am still processing what i will say is it was scary And I will touch on that in the next point, but I guess I'll do my one little positive thing right here. Um, What I can appreciate is Nikki Haley. I don't agree with a lot of what she says or the stances she took, but what I enjoyed was how she said them and how she approached them. There was an ability to acknowledge that other opinions exist and she will have to make compromise. And it it was refreshing compared to just a lack of that from everyone else okay enough about that let's talk about the oogly spookly bits the parts that were so bananas they made me quake in my boots they made me shiver my timbers scary stuff the first was the way that the debate went as a whole honestly and it's not just this one it's debates all over america small and large in the classroom and televised egocentric speakers take well over their time and interrupt others because they're right so therefore other opinions can't exist or be heard 
the low blows turn actual points into petty arguments involving name calling. That is the scary stuff. Personally, I don't want someone in charge of me who's incapable of compromise or a respectful conversation. That tells me that they will not listen to the people, but only to themselves. And I, I, I hate to say it, folks, but that's not democracy. That is not very America of them. It's time for my third point. What does this have to do with the environment? <laughs> Everything. The debate took place on a day where temperatures in my area were well above what they should be in August. The heat was suffocating, sports practices were cancelled, and smog became more and more noticeable on my commute to school. So imagine my, um, not shock, rather complete fulfillment of my deepest fear being realized. When the topic of the environment was brought to the debate and the vast majority of candidates not only denied the existence of climate change, but endorsed the increased use of fossil fuels along the way. I'm not going to waste my energy debating this. I'll link some sources if you wish to do research though. <sighs> what I want to talk about instead is the harmful impact of labeling climate change as nothing but a quote, wet blanket on the economy. This specific argument is used by many candidates and it is an incredibly inhumane point to make. It prioritizes money over human lives in a shockingly blatant way. It's also easier for older people, much like those running for president, to say because boosting the economy with increased fossil fuels is the instant gratification of politics, making it easier to get reelected and never have to deal with the consequences. And wow, what's this we've discovered, folks? A selfish motive? Wow, <laughs> my work here is done. The next thing I thought I would talk about is the weather in Maui. We're not getting more lighthearted. <laughs> Wildfires began raging across Hawaii earlier this month. Let's talk about it. I think we all know by this point that climate change is to blame, but let's dive into the science. Not really, I'm just gonna explain climate change in more words. Maui was at high risk for the fires when they started due to dryness. Maui was so dry due to higher temperatures and lower humidity caused by changes to the overall atmosphere's temperature, aka climate change. The risk caused by fires was even higher in Maui due to limited resources and a lack of funding for support. Some important context to remember when looking at how Maui is affected is how the natural environment that would often provide protection has been altered by a toxic agriculture industry adding to a lack of moisture and overcultivation of the land. Even more importantly, however, are the effects of these fires. As of when I'm recording this, 115 people have died. Hundreds more have been displaced. 2,200 structures have been damaged. And these damages do not include the monetary damages or the damages to local Hawaiian businesses already caused by the drought. More importantly, it does not include the damages done to the history of Hawaii and the ecosystem that used to thrive where there is now ash. I cannot say enough about this, so I encourage you to go and do your own research into the damage done by the fires. Find the native Hawaiians speaking about the impact of this fire and listen to them. So, next we talk about what is being done. 
a Maui mutual aid fund that anyone can contribute to is now working to raise money by the, for those affected by the fire. The fire was contained as of the 12th of August, and search and rescue efforts are out for those with no power who've been displaced. On that note, it's time for our third and final news story. I thought I would do something much quicker for this last one. Tropical Storm Hillary hit California on the 20th, and Idalia just made landfall in Florida. Some general things to prepare when in the path of a hurricane include flashlights, bottled water, first aid kits, and non-perishable food. To everyone affected by these storms, please stay safe. This is going to be a very incoherent and sharp turn in tone from the news to the recommendation, seeing how happy my recent hyperfixation makes me. So, without further ado, without further ado, recommendation of the episode, Heartstopper. You're going to hear a lot more about it in the upcoming interview, so I will once again limit myself to my favorite detail as best as I can. I love all the cheesy moments. It's, it can be hard to watch, but it's just so real because high school relationships are like that. They're hard to watch. (laughs) They're hard to be around, but they're real. And it's no different for queer people, and I think the show demonstrates that exact point perfectly. Queer people exist and have happy, healthy relationships. You'll hear this said again, but I cannot stop myself from quoting Meeks. We exist outside of our fight, and the entire premise of Heartstopper proves this point again and again. If you want to hear more about Heartstopper, don't even fret, because it's time for the interview! Um, let's get into it. How's it going? It's good. How's it going? It's definitely going. I just, I just watched the Heartstopper finale. So that's where I'm at emotionally, mentally, physically, you know. Got it. Got it. Got it. My favorite thing about like the top MLM versus the top WLW TV shows is that the top MLM TV show right now is Heartstopper, which is like, you know, cute and wholesome and it's about these two high school boys and the top wlw show is yellow jackets which is about like cannibalism and murder i think that says a lot about who's watching these shows i think so too (laughs) i'm so excited to have you on the podcast so just to get you introduced would you like to share a little bit about you like name pronouns where you're from sort of action you know okay um, hi, my name is Mia or Meeks. Um, my pronouns are they, he, and I'm from Texas. So fun. Must be a blast. It's actually the most fun I've ever had. So what is like your activism story? How did you get started? Yeah. Yeah. So I think the first time that I actually like was involved in activism was after I moved to San Antonio um, as opposed to living in my tiny little like so suburban it's almost rural um, little town that I used to live in because my neighbor um, invited me to go to the Martin Luther King Jr. uh, day march type thing it's it's not like a protest because it's a bunch of different sort of groups Mm -hmm. um 
that are all going and it's sort of like a march for equality, a march for justice, what have you. Um, and so I went with her and the Jewish Community Center and I met a lot of people there, got a lot of cards. And that's sort of when I started like actually working on activism in my community versus just being loud about people deserving rights, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. And then like, so what does your work now, like what does it focus on? So a lot of what I've been doing recently is geared toward the book bans in libraries. Um, last year, that was recently, it was super recent. Um, my school district decided to take a bunch of books out of the libraries because they dealt with themes that were not suitable for children, which meant they had a main character who was a person of color or a storyline that had to deal with, you know, being a person of color or being queer or being trans. Obviously, there is so much to tackle in what is going on right now, not just in Texas, but across the country. Um, but that's something that I think is really important because the first step to finding your community and your safe space is being able to see yourself in the media that you're able to consume. Yeah. And for a lot of people, that has to do with libraries, specifically school libraries, because it's easier to go there and like get books without... <laughs> having to deal with your parents sort of figuring out what it is that you're buying or borrowing, you know? This is what I was kind of, why Heartstopper is so, sorry, I'm going to bring it back around to Heartstopper a ton, but it's like why it's so important is because it like is just teens like living their life as people of color, as queer people. And they're just like existing, like how we do, you know? And it's just like, it's so almost like therapeutic to like see yourself there just experiencing high school kind of like knowing other people have those experiences yeah no for real like I I completely agree um I was actually just talking to one of my friends about Heartstopper and they were like I really love that they didn't have Tao have this like arc where he was like freaking out about liking L. like he didn't have a crisis over it because it's just L. He just likes his girl best friend. Yeah. And it's just, you know, it. I, I don't want to say it's easy because he's obviously having a crisis over liking his best <laughs> Yeah. But it doesn't have anything to do with the fact that like L is trans or whatever. Like it's just, it's just a teenager with a crush. You exactly. Know? Yeah. It's it. And Isaac, don't even get me started on Isaac. Oh my god. I was so like, I was watching the season and I was so worried that he was gonna end up with that guy. I was like, they're just gonna take away his representation like that. And then they did it, and I was like, I was okay. Yes. As as somebody on the asexual spectrum and on the aromantic <laughs> spectrum, that was so, so personal to me. You have no idea. Um, when Elle was talking, when she first met the people at the art school. And they were like, I can't wait to go to a school where, like, I'm just going to be me. Like, I'm not going to be the trans person. That hit. Like, I was like, shit, dude. Yes. That hit hard. Yeah. Okay. That hit hard. <laughs> so you're all of the things. <laughs> so as, like, a disabled, queer, trans person of color. Um, so, like, do you want to talk a little bit about, like, what intersectionality is and how it has affected your place in activism? Yeah, so intersectionality 
is not an idea that I had a word for until two summers ago when I did the National Advocacy Institute online and I got to hear Amber Hikes talking about intersectionality. And I was like, oh, it, like that that's this thing that I have that I am experiencing constantly and that I'm struggling with, you know, communicating to other people and nobody's ever really gotten it. Um, so I think with intersectionality, a lot of what we do is very focused, if that makes sense. Um, especially in queer activism, I feel like because of the way that, you know, society has been structured around oppression, um, that you have to have very specific oriented goals. Um, like, this is a weird example, but take voting rights, mm-hmm. right, in this country. First, we had to give voting rights to people who weren't just wealthy landowning white people. So just, you know, white men mm-hmm. in general, instead of just the rich ones. And then not just white men, but also, you know, men who were black or brown. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, we had to go an extra step and do white women. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I don't remember off the top of my head if that included women of color, but it's like, you have all of these super specific little steps Um, And that's translated to how we do sort of activism and equality today, which is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just how we have to take on this fight because people are so resistant to change. Mm -hmm. Um, But it means that when you have an intersectional identity, that sometimes you have to pick a battle, which Mm -hmm. is really difficult and it feels like ignoring various parts of yourself just because you need one part slightly more um, to be acknowledged in that moment yeah um as somebody who is all of the things (laughs) yes (laughs) um it's it's hard because it, it just means that I'm not always talking to somebody who understands exactly where I'm coming from and I can connect to somebody on the experience of being a person of color or being a trans person or being a queer person or being a disabled person. Um, but all of those things put together, that is such a specific experience. And not everybody is even willing to sort of hear and understand that. Like it, it makes things too difficult for some people, yeah. which is not on them and is not on me and rather on the way that society has decided to interact with people like me and like us. So, like, on that, how did you, have you found any stories that, like, have spoken to that almost? Like, is there anyone who you've been able to look to to help? Like, you talked about Amber Hikes. Like, how important people who do have intersectionality or, like, do experience multiple things, how important it is for them to, like, share that experience? I don't know. I think that it's, I think that it's incredibly important. Um, I I mentioned this to Amber actually when I was in DC earlier. We met. Um, <laughs> I I got to go up to Amber and I was like seriously struggling to hold back tears um, because talking to Amber is the first time hearing just hearing them talk really is the first time that I've 
ever felt seen on multiple levels. Um, when I got to hear them talk for the first time, I also cried. And it was just like realizing that people like me existed in spaces like you know, litigation and the ACLU and what have you, um, which seems like a no-brainer, right? You're like, well, of course people like that exist in the <laughs> ACLU. But I have, I had never been shown a person who was a person of color, who was a queer person, who was a trans person um, all at once. Yeah. Um, who wasn't like, an actor or somebody you know even then it's like yeah. super rare but it, it's different you know when it's a social media personality or an actor you know that that has a different sort of obviously that's still very important representation but it's just a little different because it's not something I can necessarily 100% see myself in yeah but watching Amber walk onto a stage in a nice suit and docks like I was like, oh shit, like that is, that's my future sort of, sort of deal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think it's also like, like they're an adult, like they, they made it like past like their school years. So it's like, you can, you know? Yeah. yeah. It means so much to have somebody um, that you feel is, is like you. Mm-hmm. Um not just because it proves that you're not alone, mm-hmm. but it also proves that, you know, you're not making stuff up. You're not, you're not the only person who is going through these things and you are not the only person who will make it through these things. And I think that's a, that's important. I just want to add, I, recently i saw like a trans man doing drag and it literally like i think it made my life because i've always like like i don't know i really like dressing femininely but i always feel like not you know like it's like it's stupid because it's said like not trans enough but like then i saw someone and they're just so comfortable in their identity that they're able to do that and it literally like i was like wow like i'm not the only one who wants to wear these clothes or wants to present this way and still be trans you know yeah I think I think those moments are just so important um trans joy yes Yes. okay so what's like one story that's personal to you or you've heard that sort of inspires your activism you know wow okay one story (laughs) um I honestly, I think it's it's the one that I put in my speech um, on Capitol Hill. My older, okay, he's my best friend, but mm-hmm. I call him my older brother. His name yes. is Ethan. <laughs> he is incredible. He's turning 21 this year. Um, and I've seen him go through his year and a half of HRT right now is where he's at, a year and a half. Um, and I knew him before he came out. I knew him before he started transitioning. I knew him before he cut his hair. And, you know, he he has had the freedom to experience these things pretty freely um, as he, you know, started going through this a lot later in life than I did. 
but being able to watch him grow into his skin, being able to see him, you know, sort of starting to experiment with different haircuts and not just, you know, having to have short, short, short hair so that he feels like he'll pass. Um, like right now he's got hair that's like sort of down to here and he's like, I am Steve the Hair Harrington. And he'll like, <laughs> um, and he just, you know, he he's trans and queer and neurodivergent and I just I get to see him experiencing all of these little joys um I got to see him for the first time in person in 10 months just last week and he has an Adam's apple that has just started growing because of his HRT and I think just being able to experience those things not only shows me that I need to continue to be loud for people to experience them after me, but also that I need to fight for the right to do it now because this is not a bad thing. This is not a thing that needs to be restricted or banned. This is something that makes people happy and not just the people who are experiencing them firsthand, but the people in their lives who get to watch their friends or their family become themselves and become happier because of it yeah so all all I can say is like I love like I just love found family like I just it's such like a universal thing for anyone who's like marginalized or just like feels alone that they just like they find these communities and it becomes a family dynamic and I love it like so much I, I have like I call him my school dad and like he literally like I just I don't know I just you know I've got a school dad it's all right yeah okay. <laughs> so then I know like this he's also like a source of hope but where else do you like find hope when you're like working in the, like in activism when it can be it can feel very hopeless yeah where do I find hope I mean I find hope in you know in my found family in my friends Um, But I think also in sort of these niche pieces of media (laughs) that are, you know, showing like, like Heartstopper, just the Uh experience of existing and like having your little joys that have, you know, that maybe have to do with this identity, but also maybe don't like Elle getting into art school. Yes. (laughs) Like that is a completely, you know, joyous thing. And it, doesn't hinge on the fact that she's trans and I think seeing queer people and trans people and people of color experience joy in ways that isn't just about winning the right to exist in some small way is also incredibly important because it reminds us that we exist outside of this fight and um, it's very similar to what you know we were told in the documentary which is you know, rest is also a weapon and part of rest is Mm -hmm. allowing yourself to do things and enjoy things outside of your activism. So, you know, drawing, reading, writing, watching TV, (laughs) listening to music, um, curating hyper-specific playlists for any (laughs) given, any given moment. You're so good at talking. I can't. I take classes on it. (laughs) (laughs) It makes sense. I mean, you do speech, but like, I like to do little self-care tips because like it is really important. And you mentioned how rest is a weapon. So like, what's your favorite way to get self-care? Like, what do you do? Okay. 
I'm going to be so for real. This sounds so basic. I okay. I don't really do stuff to my face normally. Like I don't have a skincare routine. Mm-hmm. But when I want to just like slow down and do a self-care day, I'll get like a face mask and I'll just like chill out with a face yes. mask and I'll listen to my favorite music and maybe like I got a coloring book oh, and I'll just yes. like you know, I'll take time and I'll make a pretty picture and I just, you know, let myself breathe. I, you know, I can't do anything super strenuous for the 15 minutes that it takes for this face mask to work or whatever. Um, And I think that's part of why I implemented that is like that has a time that it needs to be taken care of in. Whereas like with other things I can get away with like, oh, well, whatever. I sat down and I read a chapter and that was five minutes. Like that is rest, but it's not always enough to, you know, to recharge, Mm -hmm. to bring yourself back to this equilibrium where you can be working on things that are strenuous. Um, So I like doing that. I also enjoy um being curled up on my bed and like re-watching my comfort shows (laughs) um I've been re-watching Stranger Things recently what where are you at what's um I am I'm at the episode where um like the the scoops troop gets discovered by the Russians in season three oh my goodness (laughs) I loved season three so much honestly Okay, little side tangent. I'm okay, so sorry. Yeah, no little side story. <laughs> um, yesterday, I texted my friend Ethan, and I just sent him the line, "Ahoy, ladies!" <laughs> I didn't see you there. Are you ready to set sail on this ocean of flavor with me? I'll be your captain. And he called me and Facetimed me because he <laughs> and his friend were watching that scene when I texted him. That's crazy! That's crazy! Oh my god! <laughs> I'm magic. <laughs> <laughs> that's that is magical. Okay, that's everything I have for you. Is there anything else you'd like to share? I think that it's important that you do this podcast because I think that you're just like getting people who are, you know, younger <laughs> activists, which I think is I think it's so important people to like realize that not everybody who's involved in activism is a 30 year old who has complete like autonomy oh my god do you want to hear something crazy that like I thought of you when this was said and I got so angry sorry not because I was thinking of you but the right to gay marriage this is whoa I don't know how my brain got here but we're going here but anyway she told me that the right to gay marriage was won by straight white women i'm sure that there were straight white women involved (laughs) in campaigning because you don't always have to be part of the group that you're helping um and you know it's actually i encourage people to realize that they can help other people by getting involved in their you know in their campaigns in their in their activism even if you know it doesn't directly affect your quality of life yes because we are not all free until everyone is equal you know we have to we have to sort of level the playing field no matter what but also no (laughs) yes having having a bunch of voices is important but making sure that we raise the voices of the people who are actually Mm -hmm. impacted by an issue is even more important yeah I'm going to be honest, 
I do think that having a wide range of support is is key in a lot of these fights but key in the way that like the French were key to winning the American Revolution like the French didn't win the American Revolution (laughs) we won the American Revolution (laughs) we just couldn't have done it without the French because they had more power yeah and that's sort of like how allies kind of play into it sometimes yeah yeah because in in this society, in this economy, <laughs> the, the straight white people, they've got the power. They do. <laughs> they've got the power. Um, so we do need help getting marginalized voices to the forefront. And we do need that help to come in part from straight white people. Mm-hmm. But they're the French. They're helping us, you know... Yeah, that makes sense. Win rather than winning it for us. Anything, okay, so like, where can people find you? Anything you want to bring awareness to? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I am on Instagram at to indeed be a god, um, which is a Walt Whitman quote. I'm not like. <laughs> you are I, a god, I really actually. Like, <laughs> I really like poetry, so it's a Walt Whitman quote. Um, something that I think we should I think it's important to be aware of sort of what's going on in your community I can't speak for you know you know everything else but I know that sometimes petitions go around and sometimes there are gatherings and I think that it it might be hard to find it because you need Mm -hmm. to find the right channels to get to that stuff from but I think seeking that information out rather than waiting for it to come to you is important um, because people can only word of mouth can only go so far like I can probably tell three people and if each of those three people tells another third person that's still just like nine people um our our circles aren't you know unlimited so we need people to sort of try to get involved on their own yeah um rather than waiting for us to come to them because we don't know that they're out there all the time um finding you know places like the ACLU or you know even I'm not part of it because I'm not even sure that I don't know exactly how it works but you know queer youth assemble and then there's also P flag there's you know there are so many nonprofits there are so many organizations um for pretty much anything you want (laughs) to really try and work on and so I think you know, make sure that you keep yourself aware of what's going on around you so that you can do things and help people if that's what you want to do. And I suggest wanting to do it. <laughs> yes, it can't hurt. I mean, it really can't. <laughs> it can't hurt. You can do, you can do no harm. No. <laughs> It'd be impressive if you did it wrong. <laughs> I think. All right. It has been amazing, like actually amazing talking to you. I could, I love listening to you talk because you are, you're a speech person and you're really good at talking and yeah, it's been delightful. So thank you so much. It's been nice to see you again, Cam. Yes. Okay. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Bye. Okay. Bye. I wish that I didn't cheap out on Zoom and I could continue to talk to Meeks for hours. 
But alas, the episode is coming to a close, so it is time that we revisit the question of the episode. As a little reminder, our question was, what is intersectionality and how does it affect those in activism? Intersectionality can be simply defined as an overlap in identities or characteristics that are marginalized or in the minority. But how does it affect us? To summarize everything that Meeks and I talked about, intersectionality amplifies the need in activism for people to tell their stories because the fight becomes harder when we feel isolated and alone. Simply showing people that you are someone who has these experiences is such a special and unique thing that you can do for others because I guarantee someone has been in your situation sitting there thinking am I the only one who feels this maybe and it's not good for our mental health and just telling your story is incredibly brave and incredibly important because it makes people feel less alone. So that is one of the takeaways about how intersectionality affects those in activism. That is everything I have for you. Tune in next time for one of the most chaotic people I've ever met. Have a lovely time between episodes and I will see you then. Thanks so much for listening to Speaking Words and Crying Tears, written and produced by me, Cameron Conroy. Reach out with questions, suggestions, or if you're interested in being a guest at swacktivism at gmail.com. That's S-W-A-C-T-I-V-I-S-M at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and have a lovely time between episodes.